0: Bird Girl, and the Man Who Followed the Sun, an Athabascan Indian legend from Alaska. The author is Velma Wallace. This is Episode 4, Chapters 5 and 6. Chapter 5, A Stubborn Daughter. Leaving her parents, Bird Girl went to her shelter but did not go inside. Instead, she leaned against a nearby spruce tree and calmed her thoughts. She had tried to be a good daughter. Her memories were filled with laughing male voices and her father's serious instructions. Many times she sat looking adoringly up at him, proud to sit alone with him as he shared his knowledge of the land and animals, explaining to her how best to live life by providing for the family. For a moment, Bird Girl thought of her mother. Her heart softened at the memory of Nazu's gentle, understanding smile and the warm, wonderful meals she prepared. But Bird Girl could not begin to grasp her mother's thinking or her way of life. Then the men of the band intruded into her thoughts. Bird Girl stood up pacing rebelliously, she would not marry, not now. There was so much to do. This year she had received a slight nod from her father when she begged him to let her go on the caribou hunt. She had never seen the great caribou herds. When the men hunted in the fall, Bird Girl had remained in the camp with the other women and children, but her brothers had told her about the multitudes of caribou racing across the hills with the men in full pursuit. If a man had strong arms, he could bring down many caribou. She would never get to make her first caribou kill if she married. Instead, she would have to stay with the women again while her husband went out to hunt. Bird Girl thought about the available men in the camp, imagining imagining herself married to one of the boys who had always scorned her. Sometimes, if a girl was fortunate, she would be matched to one of the men in a visiting witchin band. Most of the time, however, a girl was married to someone in her own band, not a close relative, but someone she had known all her life. A very unlucky girl might be matched to a man whose first wife had died, leaving him with many children. Then the new wife would be required to take care of those children as well as her own. The life of a woman was not easy. Bird Girl envisioned herself as a married woman, caring for infant after infant, feeding them, sewing for them, cooking for them year after year until eventually they grew up. But then she would be an old woman whom the young people would only tolerate from a distance for no one would have any use for her. She had often thought that she would rather be dead than live such a life. For a moment, she considered killing herself, but Bird Girl was not ready to die. She stood in the night looking up at the star-filled sky, pondering her dilemma. If she persuaded her parents to support her decision not to marry, her family would be ostracized. To disobey the band's decision was criminal. That was how the Gwich'in kept the peace. A sudden a sudden hope filled her. It was possible that her family could survive on its own. She and the men were good hunters and her mother and her brother's wives could do the other work. Bird Girl wanted to run to her father and ask him to break away from the band, but then she pictured Zohan's stern face and knew this was only wishful thinking. Although her father and brothers had allowed her to hunt They were traditional men and expected her to obey their people's rules. She went into her shelter and started a fire from the embers. Waiting for the flames to reach the dry sticks on top, Bird Girl sat back and tried to think. She could refuse to marry, but then they would force her. After that, there would be no turning back. Once married, most girls quickly became pregnant. Bird Girl had seen many young women moving slowly around with round bodies within a year being matched to a man. She clearly remembered painful cries coming from outside the camp where women went to have their babies. Sometimes when the birth was difficult, only the midwife would return carrying a helpless infant. At other times, an unfortunate woman would give birth to a girl and the father would order the child to be killed for he had desired a son. Bird Girl had also witnessed the grief of women suffered, the grief women suffered when a still child was born. when a child was stillborn. She did not think she could bear life only to see it die. More and more, Bird Girl knew she was not ready to be a wife. In a few hours, the band would begin to stir and then there would be no more waiting. Her new life would begin. Quickly, Bird Girl gathered her possessions. She did not own much aside from her bedding, her skin and fur clothing, and her weapons, bow and arrow, knife and hatchet. This was all she needed to survive. She crept cautiously out of her shelter. If anyone saw her leaving the camp, they would raise the alarm and she wanted to go without interruption, perhaps, when it was understood that she was on her own and no longer obligated to her people, she would would turn to visit her family or they would visit her. That was her hope. Bird Girl moved silently across the ground among the spruce trees that waved softly in the brisk autumn breeze. She could see the sky in the dark ripples of the ever flowing river. When she realized she might not share the joy of the summer fishing season with her family again for a long time, her heart ached. Her love for her family was strong, but her passion to be free was stronger. She buried all the thoughts of her loved ones in the back of her mind as she forced her legs to walk calmly, not run, from those who wanted to take her freedom. Chapter 6, The Hunters. In the early morning dagu and all able-bodied men set out traveling light with bows and arrows strapped to their shoulders knives and hatchets belted to their waist and shoulder bags filled with dry meat and fish their moccasin feet stepped softly on the familiar trail to the caribou grounds high in the mountains throughout the long journey the men took turns carrying their two long canoes on their shoulders. Halfway to their destination, Diagu took his turn carrying one of the canoes. The craft was built of sturdy strips of spruce wood curved upward at both ends and expertly waterproofed with birch bark. After the hunt, the men would use the canoes to transport the caribou meat down a shallow swift tributary river back to the camp. The hunters walked all day, then ate a meager meal and lay down to rest. At first hint of dawn's light, they prepared for the hunt, setting out for the valley where the caribou grazed a short distance further. Coming over a rise and down to the valley, Diagu felt his breath taken away by the sight of hundreds of caribou spread out, pulling lichen from the ground. The men crept on all fours toward the unsuspecting animals, approaching into the wind so that their scent would not be carried to the herd. All the hunters watched their leader, who signaled with his hand whether he wanted them to stop or to strike. Diagu watched the chief and his father ahead of him, but he also watched the caribou delicately picking at the white moss. Suddenly he felt a stick under his palm and he could not stop himself from crushing it. The twig snapped loudly. Diagu felt as if his heart would stop when the caribou lifted their heads. The men froze in position. After a while, the caribou relaxed. The chief turned and motioned for Diagu to stay where he was and the young hunter felt humiliation wash over him. His carelessness had almost cost them this hunt. Diagu watched as the men stealthily approached the herd. The majestic caribou looked around innocently. It saddened him that these animals must die so his people would live. I will never enjoy being a hunter, Diago thought to himself. And for a moment, as he watched his father and the other men draw closer to the large herd, he felt regret. Suddenly, the men stood up. They thrust their spears toward their targets, then rushed forward with their knives to end the lives of the animals that had fallen in the haze of dust kicked up by the stampeding survivors. When the chief was satisfied that they had taken enough caribou to feed the band until the next hunt months away, Diagu was motioned out of hiding and joined the work. The men skinned the animals, then cut up the meat. When it lay in portions, they wrapped it in caribou skins, fastening it tightly with braided rawhide rope. Then using straps, they pulled the laden skins across the hunting grounds towards the river. By the time this was done, it was too dark to travel by water, so they camped. Diago was tired, having worked hard to pay for his carelessness. He had skinned and butchered two caribou and hauled them back to the river by himself. But rather than being disheartened, he felt exhilarated. The work had given him a burst of energy, and while the other men fell asleep, he lay on the ground staring restlessly up at the sky. Finally, he couldn't stand it no more. Rising, he tiptoed out of the camp toward the river. There, Daalu found a large boulder on which he generally gingerly positioned himself, wrapping his arms around his legs and gazing hypnotically into the dark, velvety river, watching the star's reflections twinkle within the ripples and the waves. Tomorrow, after some of the men left in the canoes, he would tell his father that he would not stay and hunt with them this winter. He hoped that on the long walk back to the main camp, he and his father would reconcile any harsh feelings between them. After all, I am a man, he said softly to himself, trying to deny the guilt he felt. I can go out on my own any time. I was just pleasing my parents and they must not feel that I will stay with them forever. Feeling sleepy, he started back to camp when a scream filled the silence of the night. Diagu froze, feeling the hairs on the back of his neck prickle. Running silently toward the sound, he hid behind a grove, grove of willows, trembling with fear, and forced himself to peek through the trees. He saw men moving around a huge fire. One of them turned, and as the flames illuminated his face, Diagu saw the man was an Eskimo, one of the Chiqui. He was the other, he, like the other strangers, was a large man dressed in a light colored jacket with knee high moccasins. His hair was cut shoulder length and his face was ornamented by a bone that jutted out of the sides of his lower lip. Chills of fear shivered through Diagu's spine. He watched the five. Cheekwai moved around the camp, looking down at the Gwich'in men who lay motionless on the ground. Waves of shock ran through Diagnu as he realized his people had been murdered in their sleep. The Chikwai must have snuck up on the sleeping men, slitting their throats before they could fight back. Dagu stifled a, sn- a sob. If the Cheekwai discovered him, they would kill him. Days, Diagu watched as the Chikwia took their time exploring the camp, digging through the Gwich'in's belongings. They talked excitedly when they discovered the canoes filled with the caribou meat and skins. Lighting another fire away from the dead men, they cooked the meat and feasted on it. After a while, they laid down on the ground to sleep. Only when Diagu felt sure the last man had fallen asleep did he dare move. His legs were stiff as he slowly made his way out of hiding. Creeping through the camp, he could not help but look down at his slain people. All he saw were dark figures on the ground. A feeling of loss and emptiness came over him. In one night, his whole world had changed. Changed. Struggling to keep from crying out in grief for the dead, he remembered the living who slept unsuspecting, not far down the river. The Cheekwya seemed in no hurry to leave this area. They soon might discover the helpless Gwich'in women and children. He must warn them. Diagu thought about taking one of the canoes, but they were too close to the sleeping Cheekwya. Although he knew that traveling on the river would be much faster, he could not take the risk of being discovered. Silently, he moved away from the fire into the darkness. By the light of the stars above, Diagu found the trail to his people's camp and started out at a trot. All that night he ran. He did not allow himself to think, for that would fill his mind with the image of his father laying dead on the ground, unable to protect his wife and son anymore. Soon the dawn came, realizing how quickly the Chiquia could reach the camp, Diagu ran in desperation. At last, he smelled the smoke of the campfires lingering in the early morning. As Diagu neared the camp, exhausted, an elderly woman warming herself by the campfire looked up to see him running towards her, waving her arms. The Chiqua are coming, he cried breathlessly. We must flee. In minutes, everyone in the camp was awake, scrambling to pack their possessions. The elders gathered around Diagu. So did young women who carried sleeping infants on their back children were given large hastily assembled bundles to carry dagu had no time to pack his own belongings he met immediately he led the group the small group inland away from the river no one looked back for fear of what they might see